God by enjoying what he has given me. Okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope. All right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. (laughs) I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha- has the fund left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-me taken a W-A-L-K, huh? <laughs> what if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And, 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 it's, and it's promised. It's guaranteed. I know what you're saying. There's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 310. So it says in the Old Testament, it says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this. Up right up there. He keeps giving. I can't outgive God. How crazy is that? <laughs> Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. <laughs> I tithe. But just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts, I buy some. Boom, that's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts, and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom, that's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for child care. Boom, shakalaka, tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friend's a tithe. I I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would I would consider giving something, but not now's crazy. We're, we're, we're going to give later. We've already talked about it. I mean, down the road, we'll be crazy givers, but right now, it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money. That's a fact. But you know what? It's a hard thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more. I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, watch this. Watch this. Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns. Come on. You want it? Ah, come on, pastor. Do what I say, huh? <laughs> oh, in my life, Lord, be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. I hope it doesn't interfere. That everyone can hear how I give with cheer That everyone could be like me
Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in the Baptist church and I have actually seen every one of those examples in the Baptist church. If you grew up in a church like ours, you may not have seen that, uh, at, at least not all of those things. We've been talking for several weeks about um, whatever you offer to God, he multiplies. And so I just wanted to share with you something that was really cool that, that happened. Um, we, uh, we, we, this is our first cow that we've ever had donated to our church. Um, that's our freezer over in the house. Um, so several weeks ago, I was talking about this and I talked about put God first literally and, and give the first, uh, and we talked about in the old Testament, the first animal that was born belonged to the Lord. The first fruits belonged to the Lord. The first 10%, uh, your tithe is not 10%. It's the first 10% of your income. So a young, a young man uh, called me and he said, Hey man, um, I, I, I was convicted by the sermon. I want to give the first cow that was born from my, from my herd. And so, um, I, I, I said, dude, I never even thought about that happening. And he said, I'm pretty pumped about this. So he sent it to the processor and, um, we went on Friday and picked it up and we came back and we put it in our freezer over here somewhere between 250 and 300 pounds of meat that we're going to be able to give in our baskets that we are our, uh, shopping bags that we give away from our hearts in motion, him ministry. So anytime somebody needs food, if you know somebody that's, that's really struggling and they need food, we will give them a sack of groceries. We've got several over here in the, in the, uh, storage room. And then we have this meat in the freezer. First time we'll be able to give meat. Somebody said uh, to me this week that when they go deer hunting this year, they're going to donate the first deer that they kill. Um, we would love to keep this thing stocked. What's really crazy about that that uh, freezer is um, two or three years ago, I don't even remember, someone said, hey, you've got this ministry where you give away food and we give away non-perishables. They said, would you, would you could you use a freezer? And I said, of course. Well, they went and bought the biggest one that, that Lowe's had. We had to take the door off to get it in. And it was so cool to come in on Friday and start stocking that thing almost completely full of meat that we're going to be able to give away. We don't even know how God's going to use it, but we want to be crazy giving church. We want to be a crazy generous church. If somebody needs something, uh, we want to be able to help them out. And one of the things that, that, that you may, God may put on your heart today is, uh, Timmy and Tina aren't here today. If you know Timmy quick, he had to go into the hospital. He, he delayed going to the hospital for a long time because they didn't have insurance, didn't have the money. When he got, he went to Trace Diaz last weekend. They said he was completely, um, yellow because he was John by the end. He had gallstones. It was completely blocked. They had to remove the blockage um, before they could even remove the gallbladder. Once they removed the gallbladder, they found another blockage. It's just been crazy. And so if you would like to give, they don't know this, if you would like to give to their medical expenses, um, if God lays that on your heart, we're going to have the white buckets at the back. Y'all remind me at the end, anything that goes in there, we'll just, we'll just take to them. Part of the reason he didn't go is because he's such a giver. Part of it's because he's a man um, and, and men don't want to go to the hospital, you know, or go whatever. But also it was just, he didn't want to be a burden on his family. So this is something that's too much for them to carry. And part of what the scripture says is when it's too much for our brothers and sisters to carry, we're supposed to help. And so um, if you want to do that, you can either write a check and put that in an envelope that says for, for the quicks or uh, whatever goes in the bucket, we'll go to them. A um, couple of quick announcements that we'll jump into this, this sermon. Today, uh, small groups are meeting tonight. We had a great kickoff last week, and uh, tonight is appetizers. Whatever appetizer you want to bring, that's the food you bring, and we'll eat that afterwards. Next Sunday, we're having first Sunday meal. We're going to do this every first Sunday until we go to Haiti next year. And so we're going to have barbecue sandwiches, chips, drink. And um, if, you bring, if, you, if you bring cookies, then you'll have a dessert. If you don't bring cookies, there will be no dessert. Um, 
Everything that goes in there is going to go towards our Haiti mission trip next year. Now, we're also going to have ministry meetings. So if you, if you think, if God's kind of quickened your heart a little bit and you want to serve somewhere, you have questions about the hearts in motion ministry, about the military ministry, about men's and women's Bible studies, anything like that, you come next week and there'll be people that you can talk to. If you don't know where to get plugged in, next Sunday after this service is the time to, that you can ask questions and get plugged in. Uh, Shelter from the Storm is starting October 2nd, and then Parents' Night Out, the next one is October 20th. Now, um, last week I talked about discouragement, and, and a week ago Thursday, Janie and I were praying together. We pray every night, and I was holding her hand, and I said, Lord, I hate my sermon. Hate it. It's terrible. This was a week ago Thursday. And um, I was telling Rachel about this last night, and she goes, well, did God change it? And I said, yes, he did. He, he did a whole lot of stuff. And, and I, I'm always amazed when God uses me. Um, last week, a lot of people said they needed the peep over the pale. You know, if you don't know what that is, get the CD. Uh, we'll make it, or you can go online and you can, you can get it from our website. Um, but a lot of people were discouraged and they said, we needed that message. And so when I thought about that, I, I came up with this message for today because we're going to talk about how you kill or the things that kill attack your spiritual life. A lot of people were discouraged last week. Well, we're going to look at some reasons that maybe your spiritual passion has died. Um, Um, And so let's just jump into it. Spiritual passion turns the impossible into the possible. If you want to live an abundant life, Jesus said you got to be passionate about two things, and I'm going to read that to you in just a minute. Now, if you are not passionate about these two things today, do not blame the preacher, do not blame the band, do not blame anybody. I'm sick and tired of people passing the buck for their spiritual condition on someone else. If you have a problem with your spiritual condition, it's your fault. You are as close to Jesus as you choose to be. You're as far from Jesus as you choose to be, so stop. Stop whining and complaining about the church. When Jesus was asked about spiritual passion, here's what he said. This is the message translation. Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Now you've heard it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the message translation. And I put it in there because of passion. And love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these two. Jesus says the only life worth living is you got to be sold out to God and sold out to other people, loving other people. You don't get to casually date the bride of Christ. Too many people, you just think about that. Think about that statement. If you, if you treated your spouse or if you treated whoever your boyfriend, girlfriend is, whatever, if you treated them the way many people treat God and his bride, the church, how long would that relationship last? Not very long. God says he needs to be a priority and people need to be a priority. Colossians 3.23, Paul said this to the church, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. So he's saying, whatever you do, if you're going to get married, you need to get married with passion and energy. If you're going to work, you need to work with passion and energy. Whatever you do, you need to do it with integrity as if you're working for God, because guess what? You are. He's your boss. When I mow a lawn, you may think this is silly, but when I mow a lawn, I always think God is my boss. It doesn't matter whether I know the person ever seen him before or not. I think God is my boss. I need to do it in a way that he's pleased because whoever's paying me to mow their lawn isn't really my boss. I have a higher authority as As long as I please that authority, then my human authority will be pleased. Does that make sense? Whatever you do, 
If, if you have a spouse, you need, to, you need to treat them as a priority, not as a burden. If you have children, men, you need to put as much passion into your children as you do into your hobbies and tell them that they're a gift from God, not a burden for you. Now, yesterday I was watching a lot of college football. I love college football even more than, than pro football because I think there's more passion. And, and my Baylor Bears, and I just got to tell you, my Baylor Bears suck this year. That's not a spiritual term, but it's reality. Um, we've lost to two non-Division one teams, and so we're playing Oklahoma. Oklahoma beat Ohio State. And I always root for the Big 12 because that's, you know, I was in the Big 12. That's where I went to school was Baylor. Actually, it was the big, uh, it was, what was it? Southwest Conference back then. Um, but anyway, so I uh, rooted for Oklahoma, but now Oklahoma's playing my Bears, and I figured it's going to be this massive blowout. And so I turn on the TV, and it's actually not that bad. So I start watching. I go, "Wow, Baylor's got some life, you know." And at, at one point, we were even we were even in front, and we were ahead of the number three team in the nation into the third quarter, and then it kind of fell apart. And then we came back, and we actually had a shot to tie. And I looked in the stands. Now, let me tell you, I did not choose Baylor because of the colors green and gold. No. In fact, Baylor was wearing black. Um, Black helmets, black with gold. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And then you go to the stands and everybody's in green and gold. And it's a hideous green and gold. It's not even good green and gold. And man, they are going nuts. They're cheering. We're winning over the number three team in the nation. It was awesome until we lost. But still, we made a good showing and everybody was crazy and it's okay to be crazy. And then um, I didn't even care about the Iowa and Penn State game, but, but I saw there was a fourth and one and I just was wondering if they were going to get the first down. They got the first down. And then it was great. They scored so many points in the last Penn State throws a walk-off touchdown pass four three two one the guy catches it and and this everybody goes nuts and it's just awesome and we're like look at that they're so passionate about the sports Woo! our culture says it's okay to be passionate about anything other than God it's acceptable to be a nut but if you start doing that at church or you start oh people think you're crazy they're a spiritual kook. One of the things that, that we encourage you over and over every week is to cheer or, or to, to sing or to clap or, or just to make a joyful noise. Whenever we sing, um, the empty grave is singing. Now it's shouting out when we do the song, God is alive. And you go, woo, when you yell, it's awesome. It, it, it encourages the people on the stage and we lift up our voices to God. We want you to be involved. This is not a funeral. This is a celebration. That, that, that the one we worship, his tomb is empty. It's the only, the only founder of any religion like that. It's acceptable everywhere to be passionate except in the church. But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to follow me with everything, with passion. And maybe we've stumbled onto the secret here why so many people live ineffective Christian lives because they're not passionate. Either they never were passionate or they've lost their passion if you've, never, if you've never had it, I don't think you've really met the one who came out of the, the grave because that'll change you. If you lost it, you need to go back to the beginning and start over again. Look what uh, Paul says to the Romans. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the more. You don't stay on fire for God accidentally. You don't have passion in your marriage accidentally. You have to plan for it. You have to, you have to work at it. Well, you have to work at it with God as well. No one accidentally has a passionate relationship with God. It, it takes effort. And do you know whose effort it takes? Yours. The two guys that were in the early service are helping me out. Thank you, guys. 
if you've ever lost your spark for something, then it's probably one of these seven spiritual life killers that I'm going to talk to you about today. It's on your listening guide. And as we go through today, I want you to put an asterisk by the ones that God kind of quickens your spirit. I got a, I got a thumbnail here and I had something shoved up under there and it still hurts, you know, so you touch. That's what it means. When God quickens your spirit, he kind of, he kind of does something. You go, oh, and that's from God. It's not guilt. It's conviction. So if God shows you something today, just put an asterisk by it and you're going to have an opportunity to offer that to God in a little bit. The first thing that kills your spiritual life is an unclear purpose. Number one passion killer in your spiritual life is an unclear purpose. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going. You don't know why you're on the planet. Um, I remember the first time that, that I drove past um, it, through Clarendon, Texas. Clarendon is on 287. Um, my parents live north of there, and, and there's, this little, there's this little town called Clarendon. Clarendon. I'm not sure. I think maybe it has a light. I don't remember uh, if it has even a stoplight. But something that, that a long time ago was this. What is that motel called? The It'll Do Motel. Never once in my life have I been tempted to stay at the It'll Do Motel. We were, when Caleb was a baby, we were in a driving blizzard. I mean, you could not see somebody's on the side of the road waving us down. We weren't even going to stop because I got my infant. He's like three or four months old. He's in the back seat. And so I called 911 and said, hey, go help those people. I'm not stopping. Even in that blizzard, I was not tempted to stop at the It'll Do Motel. Had I, had I been forced through the blizzard to stop at the It'll Do Motel, I would have pulled into the parking lot and probably slept in my car rather than going into the It'll Do because it won't do for me and my family. The point is, many of you have no idea why God created you. And if you don't know why you're on the planet, any path will do. This one will do. Until I get bored, and then this one will do. Then this one will do. It'll do. Not for me. And I don't think for you. I've got some, uh, I've got some tools up here I need y'all to help me identify. What is this? It's a hammer. What, what is the purpose of a hammer? Driving nails, okay. Um, what is this one? It is not a monkey wrench. You keep saying that. This is a pipe wrench, Travis. My dad was a pipe fitter for Phillips Petroleum for 37 years. My dad called it a pipe wrench. It's a pipe wrench. What is, oh wait, this is my favorite tool, which Travis will say is his. It's not. And I keep an eye on it when he's around. What is this? It's, it's actually an impact wrench, but I, you can use it for uh, power. You can use it for drilling, and I have the little... This is my favorite tool. I will hurt you in the name of Jesus if you try to take that, that tool. Now, um, what, is, what is this one? See that? Yes, it's a T-handle. You know what that is? This is one of the best tools that I've ever found for working on sprinkler systems. It has this little bevel thing here. You know, it's, it's small here and it's thick here. What happens is in a sprinkler system, when you're mowing lawns, if someone has a sprinkler system and the one of the head stays popped up, it gets run over and it breaks. This goes down inside the plastic and it wedges in there so that you can unscrew that little piece of plastic that's from the pit of Satan's lair and you can pull that thing out. One of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. I carry this with me anytime I mow or anytime I'm working on a sprinkler system. Now... Have you ever used a pipe wrench to try to drive a nail? How effective is that? Not very. I have not. I've seen it. Have you ever seen somebody try to use a drill to drive a nail? 
you will die. You will meet Jesus if you try to use my favorite tool to drive a nail. Now, here's the point. Let's, let's, say, let's say that this hammer does not understand how it's been shaped. It does not. And by the way, if you try to use a hammer to, use, to do a pipe wrench's job, how effective is that? <laughs> not. Okay, this hammer. Hammer's dad is a uh, race car. He's shaped like a race car. And so he's supposed to do race car things. So what if this hammer says, I'm going to be like my dad and I'm going to try to drive race cars. How effective do you think they're going to be at driving? Aiden was in the first service and he came up afterwards and he goes, when you held up the hammer, I kept thinking of Dale Earnhardt Jr. trying to be a race car driver because he's not as good as his dad. But anyway, that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, I thought that was funny. So, uh, okay, so he tries to be a race car driver. He's not effective. What if his mom, what if his mom has a writing ability? She writes and he tries to be a writer. How effective is he going to be at writing? Not very. God has shaped you for a specific purpose. and, And the hammer doesn't figure out its purpose by looking inside itself. You do not figure out your purpose because no offense, you're not big enough to control the universe. You're not big enough and powerful enough to speak and things are created. So if you don't know why you're on the planet, you don't find it in here, you find it up there. You find it on the cross. Why God created you and you do not have spiritual passion when you don't understand why you're shaped or how you're shaped. There's an atheist, a famous atheist, even he knows this. Bertrand Russell said, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Now, let's, let's say that this hammer decides he's going he's gonna to pick his own purpose in life and his purpose in life is to chase little pink hammers because they make him so happy. He goes to hammersonly.com. And he says, would you look at the handle on that one? That is awesome. And he keeps chasing little hammers. How long is it going to be before he figures out that that's that's not, that doesn't bring him happiness and he has to get a new pink hammer, a younger model. (laughs) I don't know. It falls apart after that. There's nothing more significant than being who God made you to be than doing what God made you to do, than thinking what God made you to think, and being involved in the greatest cause in the world, which is the kingdom of God. Because no offense, I don't care what you do, your job will not last forever unless it's building his kingdom. Can you imagine these tools? If, if the king, the eternal king said, I want you to be a part of building my eternal kingdom, wouldn't that be, don't you think the hammer would be happy with that? Sometimes I'm a hammer and I, and I love it when God uses me. And I think that you're here because you, you know that your little dinky purpose isn't big enough. And if you have a medium sized purpose, you're going to have medium sized passion. But if you get involved in God's kingdom, which lasts forever, that's something that keeps me going. When, when all of hell attacks me, I go back to the word of God. I go back to the cross and I say, I just got to keep doing what matters. And I think you want to do that too. If you want to be effective, you got to be selective. Um, many of you know, I went to, to Peru this past summer. Um, actually, I skipped ahead, didn't I? Huh, huh. We'll come back to Peru. 
I, I skipped two pages here. So the second thing, okay, you're, you're not in the hands of your creator if, you're not, uh, if you don't know your purpose, you're not being used. Second thing is an unused talent. God gives you talents at birth. He gives you spiritual gifts at your rebirth, at your spiritual birth. And God doesn't just kind of close his eyes and say, oh, I'm going to throw this one out here and I'm going to throw this one out here. God chooses a spiritual gift specifically for a reason, for you, for a reason. And that reason is not you. God always gives you something so that you can help someone else. And if, you, if you're stuck in your job and your career uh, and, 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 and your, your job and your career doesn't use your talent, you're going to lose your spiritual passion. In fact, I read a thing that kind of shocked me. It said that, that studies indicate that 70%, 7 out of 10 Americans are in a job that does not fully use their talents and abilities. So let's say you're in a job and, and you, um, they're only using about 30% of your abilities. That means there's a 70% boredom factor. No wonder you lose your passion. You're not being used for what God intended. Let's say this hammer is, is in computer data input and he begins hammering. He feels pretty effective doing that, right? Some of you aren't using your hammer. You're banging your head because you're in a job that's not using who God created you to be. Look what 1 Peter 4.10 says. Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in his service of others. So use your gift well. Find out what you do well and use it in the church. You're never gonna find all of your um all of the meaning in life in your job, God didn't design you that way. He never designed you to fill, find your fulfillment in your career. You're gonna need to minister in the church in order to reach that 100% capacity. Third spiritual life killer is an unbalanced schedule. It doesn't matter whether you're overworked or underworked, both of them will rob you of your spiritual life. You have to have a balance between input and uh, output. Um, there's, a, there's a commercial on, I don't even know what the commercial's for, but I know Drew Brees is in it, quarterback of the New Orleans uh, Saints. And uh, at the end of it, he's, he's, he's all feeling good and he's, he's running across the backyard pushing a lawnmower. And Janie said, that's you. Because I, I just do it fast. I, I mow fast, I trim fast. I, I just, for me, if there's a job to do, get the job done and go to the next job. That's just the way I am. And if somebody does that all the time, if you go 100 miles per hour all the time, you never take a break, what's gonna happen to that person? You're gonna burn out or you're going to break. Something's going to break. If you keep a car at, at, at too high an RPM and you never give it a break and you never service that car, that car's gonna break. It's gonna go. Some people are in the hospital today because they've been going so fast. I can't take a break, I can't take a break. And God says, you're gonna take a break. I've heard people say, I'm laying flat on my back. All I can do is look up at God and I say, okay, God, you got my attention. God says, finally, could have avoided all of this if you would have slowed down. Then you've got other people. All they do is sit and soak. I need more Bible study. I need to go deeper. Did you know that you can actually have too much Bible study? And some of you are going, I can't believe a preacher just said that. Some of the most miserable, mean, cranky, mean-spirited people I know are at church every Sunday morning. They're at church every Sunday night. They're at Wednesday night prayer meeting. And they're miserable. Here's why. Because all they've done is take stuff in. And they've never done anything with it. They've never obeyed what they know. I'd say 90% of Christians know way more than what they're doing. And anytime you, you hear from God and you don't answer or you don't obey, it, it builds a wall. There's a barrier between you and God. The more you do it, the bigger that barrier becomes. Because look what Jesus said about obedience in John 14, 15. 
If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. He said, obedience is love. Don't tell me you love me and don't do what I say. Don't call me Lord and don't do what I say. And then his half-brother, James, said this in James 4, 17. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. If you go to Bible study and you hear something from God and you don't, you don't do it, that, that's a barrier and your spiritual passion is going to drain out like a, like a tire when you push the little thing. It's just going to drain because you're not being obedient. Here's what God tells you. He says, he gives us the answer, whether you're not doing enough or whether you're doing too much. He says, here it is in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. It takes effort to become spiritually fit, just like physically fit. All right, now, many of you know I went to Machu Picchu. Here it is. So a friend of mine, I'm, I'm in Austin um, last November, and I went to the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, and I'm staying with my friend Cameron and his wife Stacy because we just love going there. He's a pastor, and they, uh, they were the very first wedding I ever did before I was uh, even married, and um, they actually moved their, their rehearsal, their wedding rehearsal from Friday night to Thursday night so that I could propose to Janie on December 7th, which was her birthday, and, and they were the only ones that knew I was proposing, and we're just really tight with them. We love to go stay at their house. They, they have the gift of hospitality. Their parents, uh, Cameron's parents, when Janie and I were dating, she had a key to their house and that's where she would stay when she would uh, come to see me because we never lived in the same town until we were married. And so she just had her own bedroom. They kept it. Nobody else got to sleep in Janie's bedroom and, until we got married and just incredible, incredible people. So I'm at Cameron's house. Cameron walks in. Janie didn't get to go with me to this uh, conference. And I'm actually working on my sermon one night. I'm sitting at their kitchen table and I'm typing. And Cameron goes, hey, dude, what do you think about Machu Picchu? And I said, this is all I'd ever known about Machu Picchu. This is in Peru. And so that's what I thought. And I thought, well, it's awesome. I said, dude, I've always wanted to go there. He goes, how about, how about we go this summer? And I said, what? He said, there is this leadership conference that you can go to. And part of what you do is you walk the Inca Trail, which is 27 miles. You spend four days hiking 27 miles. You end up at Machu Picchu. I said, awesome. So I started praying about it. I asked Janie. Janie said, you need to do it. We prayed more. And so we decided to go. Now, I was reading on the instructions about this trip. And one of the things they said was, um, you need to be in excellent physical condition to go on this trip because there's thousands excuse me, tens of thousands of steps. And so I started training um, and, and I would go to the track. I would get up and I would read my Bible and I'd be at the, at the Palestine High School track about uh, 7 a.m. And then I, would, I, I started with a couple of miles of bleachers. I would be doing bleachers. I'd run the end, the curves on the track and I'd go to the, the visitor side and climb bleachers. I got up to three, four, five miles that I was doing that and then sometimes I would walk another two or three miles because we were going to, on, on one day we're going four miles, another day we're going eight miles, another day we're going 10 miles. Uh, one day we're, we're hiking for eight hours, one day we're hiking for 10 hours. And it said at the bottom of the instructions, it said, if you cannot keep up with the group, you will be dealt with by the trip leader's discretion. I thought, I'm not going to be the dude sent home. And, and I'm, I'm not making this up. So the first day we drive out there, Cameron and I got there a couple of days early because they tell you to get there early so you can acclimate to the higher elevation. So we do that and we go and there's this, this bridge across this awesome river. So I'm taking pictures and it was the last time I had cell service. So I texted Janie, I said, here we go. And she gets to text me back right before we go. And she said, that's awesome. You're going to do great. And I was actually nervous because I'd read about something. I'll show you in just a second. I'd read about something called dead woman's pass. And it's not because people died, but it's it, anyway, it's, it's because it looks like a dead woman sleeping up there, but, but it is it is incredibly hard. So I had been working and, and sometimes I'd, I'd go early and then I'd go after work and I'd go out to Davy Dogwood Park and I would walk. They have, um, uh, 
biking trails and I would walk those trails as fast as I could, sometimes three, four, five. So sometimes I was doing eight to 10 miles a day just trying to get into shape. And so the first day we come across the bridge and we start walking up this thing and it's about this, this uh, elevation incline and we walk m- not even 200 yards and we get to the top of this little thing and, and none of us had been on this trip before. There's 19 in our group. The only one I knew was Cameron. We get there and we're going, <laughs> and Cameron goes, oh Dear God, what have we done? I mean, this is day one, 10 minutes into the trip. So then the trip levels out and then you're doing this and you get to this big sign. So there's this huge sign, four by eight sign, and it says, you are here. So on the sign, our our trip leader goes, okay, I don't want to discourage you, but you need to see this. So we come up and we look and he said, see, and this is, this is about scale, about one inch. There's this little like inverted V. So it's supposed to be a mountain. He said, this little one inch here. And we were on this side. He goes, you are here over this little bitty one inch. I'm not making this up. Next to this little bitty one inch was a four foot mountain. He said, that's a dead woman's pass. It's the hardest part of the trip. Day two, he said, people quit. He said, if you make it past, and in fact, you can't quit after that because they can't get you out. You have to keep going. They had a guy twist his ankle after dead woman's pass. They had to carry him. He was like 6'2", 235. They had to carry this idiot. He jumped off a thing. He goes, what's this? Jumps off. Anyway, so we're going, oh, no. On that second day, they tell us, uh, th- well, let me show you this. Go ahead and show that next picture. So second day, this is Dead Woman's Pass. You can, it's kind of blurry, but down in the valley, we started down there. We went about, uh, I don't know, 6,000 feet in elevation in this one day change. So we start down there at the bottom. Now they tell you, they say, okay, walk at your own pace. There's 19 of us in the group and, I don't, and we had three um, guides. And so they said, just walk at your own pace. And so I'm walking along and I'm with Cameron. Cameron didn't train. And so, um, well, he did, but he really didn't. So we're walking along and there's times that Cameron is going, go on, go on, go on. And I'm like, and I said to him, I said, dude, I, I can't, I can't go this slow. Cause it's killing me. Cause you know, I, I was ready to go and, and I'm, it's killing me. He goes, go on. So I go on and I'm climbing and I'm climbing and, and I'm at a point where I realize I'm the only person around all right, so there's, there's a whole bunch of people behind me. I don't even know if anybody in our group is ahead of me and I'm climbing and I am trudging and my heart is beating because by this time I'm about 10,000 feet at elevation and, and my heart is just beating and I'm breathing hard and I have my walking poles and I'm just trudging up this mountain and I'm going, this is terrible. I paid money for this <laughs> and I'm trudging and I'm just about to sit down and wait for somebody to come along because this is the worst experience of my life. And I look up, I come around this corner and there's two people from our group sitting at the top and they go, Doug, come on. And I'm telling you, it's like, it's like God just gave me a, a little extra wind and I, and I climbed up there and for the next three days, we, the three of us, there was one of them, he was a 19 year old kid. And then one of the, one of the trip leaders. And then there was a young lady, she was 37 and she's a triathlete. Cause I asked her at one point, I said, how come you're not sucking wind? She goes, well, I'm a, I'm a triathlete. And I said, oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> here's what happened. So as we, as we get up there, um, it's glorious. Cameron, I, to show you that I actually did this, show the next picture. There's, there's me and Cameron. Cameron has something called a What's that called? I can't remember. 
that hat. It's a, it's a native hat. Anyway, um, we get to the top and it's just glorious and it's magnificent. And, and I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. But here's the thing. Here's, here's what God taught me. As I decided I, I better get in physical shape, God began to show me that I also needed to get in spiritual shape. That, that some of my habits weren't as good as they should have been, what they have been in the past. And as I began to feel better physically, spiritually, I began to dig into the word. This is the time when I said, I've got to study every book of the Bible. And I started in Genesis. I'm, I just finished numbers this week and I'm writing and, and God is showing me stuff. And, and I'm not saying God's telling you this for you. I'm telling you what God told me was the better physical shape you're in, the better I can use you in my kingdom. And the more I'll light your fire for the things spiritually. And so you take that, however you, however God wants to give that to you. Um, I got to move on. I, I spent too much on that. There's a fourth spiritual passion killer and the secret sin. Nothing kills, kills your spiritual life like secret sin. Look at Psalm 38, four and six. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a load. It weighs me down. I am bent over and bowed down. I am sad all day long. You cannot feel enthusiasm and guilt at the same time. This is the, this is the backpack. It's a day pack, and it's a 30-liter day pack that I took on this trip. And, and what you learn very quickly is there's some things that you need, and there's some things you don't. When you're, when you're hiking Dead Woman's Pass, I weighed mine before we went on Dead Woman's Pass. It was 21 pounds. And when you're trudging along with 21 pounds on your back, that gets heavy. You had to carry your water. I had my little hydration pouch in here and you have to have two liters of water because you're going to be separated from others. And anyway, I saw this crazy thing. I, I learned that, that there's stuff that's not necessary. That's why I came back with this beard. I did not take my razor up on the mountain. Um, if you remember, I had the full beard and then Janie said, you're poking me and, and it keeps getting smaller. Y'all notice that, right? It just keeps getting smaller because I like kissing my wife. And and if she complains, I just, it's about, it's about to be gone. Um, the point is the heavier, the more sin you're carrying, the more it destroys your soul. And the crazy thing is you don't have to carry it because look what God says in first John one, eight through 10. If we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, he won't let us down. He'll forgive us our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God, make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. All you have to do is tell God, admit it, and he'll cleanse you and he'll give you a power that you've never known before. Secret sin really isn't secret. Your friends know, your family knows. It's, it's in your countenance that you're carrying something you shouldn't be carrying. So you, you get rid of it. Fifth thing is unresolved conflict. Look at these two verses from Job. Resentment destroys the fool. Circle the word resentment. Resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Circle jealousy. And then look at Job 18.4. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. Circle the word anger. Those three things are destroying your spiritual life. Um, whoever I don't forgive, if there's somebody I don't forgive, then they control my life. William, where's William? Come here, Will. Come stand right here, buddy. Let's say that I do something to William. You're going to stand right in front of me. 
Let's say I do something to William. Yeah, Aiden, I see you come in. Aiden was my victim and the first victim. Let's say I do something to William. I don't even know that he's mad at me, but he holds that against me. Then get ready. I'm getting on. Ready? All right. Now, he allowed me, he's carrying me around. This is 185 pounds of something. Now, here's the, here's the incredible thing. I may not even know it, but I can control him because check this out. I can, I could put him to sleep. You like that? I actually could. I can control him. He has given me control by not forgiving. Thanks, bud. That's good. (laughs) Aiden came in because I actually, I got Aiden a little bit too much. Aiden went down to his knees and it, it was the most awesome illustration ever. I wish we had it on video. You're giving someone control if you don't forgive them. You're saying, turn my head this way. I can be in the middle of something spiritual, but because I'm not forgiving you, there's unresolved conflict, there's jealousy, there's anger. Satan can use that to get your focus off of God. If you want your passion back, you're going to have to learn to forgive. Number six, a lonely lifestyle. This has nothing to do with whether you're married or not. This has to do with God created you with a need for other people. One of the characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Christ is someone who is dedicated to a small group of believers that they can go to and they can pray together. And and when stuff happens, like with Timmy, or stuff happens with Heath, you have a group of people around you that can pick you up. And again, it's... (laughs) If you choose not to to be involved, that's on you. That's not on the church. Solitary confinement is one of the worst confinements because you were never designed to be alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. When I was walking up that mountain and I saw those two, I told them that night when we were sitting at supper and we're having our little discussion, I said, You have no idea how your encouragement kept. I was about to stop. And it was actually, it wasn't funny, but it was as we're walking down the little path before we get to Dead Woman's Pass, there's five or six people walking the other way. This is a one-way journey. And we said, what's, what? They said they got to Dead Woman's Pass. It was too hard and they quit. I was at a point where I was struggling because I didn't know how far, I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know where I am. And they encouraged me. And so here's what happened. I get up there and, and I start hanging out. The next three days, I, I walked with these two and this, this guide and I got to know them. We, we would get too far in front because we were, we were just loving, having a great time. And they'd call on the radio and say, you have to wait for the rest of the group. So we'd sit down. One time we're sitting down on this cliff overlooking, I don't even know, a 10,000 foot drop and there's a river and it's, the, the mountain peaks are over here. The mountain peaks go up over 14,000 and it's just incredible. Incredible. And we started talking because, because this, well, first of all, Justin, the 19 year old young man, I started asking about him and he's awesome. We had this great talk. And then I said, okay, to her, I said, you said something the other night that caught my attention. You said you got sober at 19. I said, that's unusual. Usually people fall off at 19. You got sober. And she told her story. And then I told my story. And we just, it was this most incredible thing. As we walked together, it was this scripture. Two are better than one. Three are better than one. And so many of you are walking by yourselves. And that's why your spiritual life is in the condition it's in. 
Number seven, and we're done. An undernourished spirit. All of this has to do with your heart. You cannot buy a pill to fix your heart. You can't, do, you can't buy possessions. Nothing can fix this except something spiritual. You're gonna be hit from the moment you leave today. You're gonna be hit with things. People are gonna criticize you. People are gonna judge you. People are gonna look at you because of the, maybe because of your skin color, maybe because of the car you drive. Maybe, I don't know what. It is all designed to cause you to become bitter and hardened and to raise your fist against God and to move away from God's people so that you die a cranky, lonely old person. I don't want to be that person. I want to be fully engaged. I want to live a full life until my heart quits beating, whether that's today or my dad died at 91. I want to keep going to Haiti until I'm 70 if God lets me. And if I make it to 70, I'll keep making new deals with him as long as he lets me go. Here's how you do it. Here's the key, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Just as you trusted Christ to save you, you need him for salvation. Trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with him. Let your roots grow down into him. Draw up nourishment from him. See to it that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous. You've seen trees that are planted next to streams, next to water. They grow massive. They're strong. They're fruitful. They're beautiful. If your soul is shriveled up, it's because you're planted too far from your heavenly father. And it's your spirit that needs to be nourished. You have an enemy that's going to attack you. You have to be wise enough to see what's going on and respond to that. So put this, put this last slide up there, Travis. Here's the seven things. Unclear purpose. It'll do. It'll do. If you don't know why God made you. Unused talent, unbalanced schedule, secret sin, unresolved conflict, lonely lifestyle, undernourished spirit. Some of you, asterisked, if that's a word, all seven. You're seven for seven. What's been hitting you? You need to tell God about it. He's the only one that can deliver you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you're a, you're a God who gives us a thousand second chances. But we know, God, there's gonna be a day when your patience wears out. Help us not to cross that line before we give our hearts fully to you and we live the life you created us to live. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.